In this episode, we talk about prioritizing big revolutionary ideas for small iterative improvements and a whole lot more. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Uh, yeah, not much. It's it's December. It's the end of the year. I don't know. Do, do, do you feel like, like hey, a, a year is completed, yes, or like, oh, no, I didn't do what I wanted to do this year? Definitely more on the latter. How about yeah. you? Um, yeah, I think I always feel the latter, even if I had a good year, um, which, which doesn't say I didn't have a good year this year. But uh, my, I think my my way of combating that is by saying, like, do, do I feel like a lot happened? Like, are things different from a year ago? And if a lot happened, then I feel good. And I think a lot happened. That is true. Yeah, a lot happened. I felt, you know, it, but the, I think the the second question behind that is like, did you did you have agency in what happened or did it happen to you? Like, did you affect the happening? Or yeah. were you just like in a tornado? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, for sure. But like the saddest thing I hear older people say is when they're just like, oh yeah, a decade flew by and I didn't even notice. Oh, and God. I'm like, I, I just want to notice time passing. And I feel like I still like I I don't notice time speeding up the way a lot of people seem to as they age. Sorry, that yeah. got way more deep early on right away yeah. in the podcast <laughs> that I meant to. Yeah. So um, yeah, it true that. Yeah. This um, is this was not a boring year. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially for you. Um, so in terms of what's actually going on with me, so this is, we're only a little less than halfway through December, but this is, so normally Thanksgiving comes, signups tank, because, like no one's signing up for CRM during Thanksgiving. And then, they, you know, it's better after Thanksgiving, but basically between Thanksgiving and New Year, like it's a much lower baseline than normal. This is our first year, I think ever, where that is not true. Nice. Um, yeah, we're still low. Like our whole year, this this whole year has been lower than we normally see. But since Thanksgiving, or really, it it would normally start trailing off the whole second half of the year, and it's actually slightly ticked up the whole second half of the year. Did, uh, you know, I'm going to ask. Like, do you have any idea why, or is it just sort of like, yay? Yeah, there's not there's not a clear sign of anything. I there's a lot of input. Like we've been working all year very deliberately on growth stuff. Um, the best I can guess is that some of it's working, but this goes back to a conversation we've had multiple times in in recent episodes that I think what's working is we're spending a lot of money on ads and stuff and indirectly that leads to signups, but like it's mostly, it's, there's not like any particular trackable channel that's meaningfully going up. Um, so I think it's just, but, but our ad budget is twice, like we're spending something like 30,000 a month right now, whereas before we spent 10 to 15. So I would I would attribute it to that, but I'm not sure. Well, but do it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that's the thing. If if so, my optimistic hope is January hits. Normally, we bounce back up. We'll definitely bounce back up somewhat. That's always happened, or maybe maybe this year's different. If we bounce back to like normal, like before this year when growth was good. Um, I will I will say I have no idea why that happened. I'm glad it did happen, but I think at that point we just have to keep doing all the stuff we've been doing, having no clue. Like we're doing 10 new things, maybe only one of them is the cause of all of this, but we just have to keep doing all 10, I think. 
Yes, I agree. <laughs> I, I'm totally on board with that. Yeah. And just be happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, you know, obviously it hasn't happened yet, so I don't get to celebrate, but I, I'm more optimistic than I have been all year uh, because we've not seen a slowdown. Are, are you, before. are you feeling, um, I mean, this is related to recession topics. Are you feeling uh, safe from this recession or do you feel like it's still too early to tell? Um, so right now I, I said, we're, we're not, uh, like tanking, we're not tanking the way we normally do this time of year. What I really mean is free trial signups are not down. Churn actually is higher than it should be right now. Mm. Um, and especially involuntary churn, which I think is random. I, I don't think it's like custom by involuntary. I mean, people's credit cards failing. I don't think it's like, oh, our product got less competitive and, or, you know, it's got nothing to do with us. I don't think, um, so there are some signs, it's it's a small sample size, I'd want to see more before I start panicking, but there are some signs that our growth efforts are working and some kind of economic conditions are impacting us potentially. Boy, it'd be nice if you could offset that. There's also this thing with, with your product, because you're a lower cost alternative, there's a potential for like any business closures, reductions that lead to cancellations could also be offset by downgrades from like a yeah. more expensive CRM. So there's an interesting sort of uh, recession proofness in your business model being the lowest cost uh, option. Yeah. I was just asking Alex who does more or less sales for us. Uh, like what are people saying? Um, and he did say he's hearing price more often as a reason why people are looking at us. Um, yeah. Again, we're talking, you know, two or three conversations. So I don't, I don't want anyone listening to this to be like, Oh, I'm going to go quote Tyler and say there's a macro thing going on here, but <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, there are other proof points uh, that support uh, Tyler's proof yeah, points. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah I've, I've thought since the, because, you know, we started in 2009, like right basically at the bottom of the Great Recession. Uh, and I'd always thought like, okay, there will be another recession. Hopefully we will still be in business for it. Will it be good or bad for us? For a long time, I told myself it would be good because like you said, we're a low cost alternative and all that. I don't think that's, I think that's a little too rosy, but I think it's probably, I think we do better than the average CRM company. And most of our competition is either publicly traded or has raised venture money. There are companies that could go out of business just because they can't raise another round, even if everything else looks good. You mentioned Alex, who's uh, doing uh, sales and he also does business development for you guys. Does he have his um, sort of ear to the ground in terms of like these smaller CRMs that could go under as part of a recession like this. And you could just like gobble up all the users. Um, I wouldn't say he has, I've talked about this with him. I wouldn't say neither of us really know, but we're both trying to pay attention. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so, uh, JD and I have been talking about this. So one of the biggest boosts we've got, we've had two sort of inflection points, this open enrollment period, and both have been related to, uh, one was related to an agent, uh, deciding they didn't want to be in the business anymore. And he referred us to this entire book. Now it was small, but it was significant. And the other was related to an insurance company that is exiting the market. And we got a lot of their referrals to help their people that were on their plan uh, that were buying from this insurance company that's leaving the market, help them Mm. find new insurance in the new year. And, um, it's just like a reminder that like when people, you don't know when someone's gonna like be like, I'm done. Um, but when they are like, there's a huge opportunity in that and being the first call, yeah. um, it takes a lot of upfront business development and relationship, but like, there may be something worth like a small, like nurture of like, Hey, like, 
Yeah, that's interesting. We're here, and and so that's something that uh, I'm. JD and I are figuring out how to replicate. Like we know agents are going to go out of business next year. Yeah. So uh, you're saying though, you need to, you need to already have a relationship with them before. Pro- it's not like you hear they're going out of business and then you call them up and say, Hey, what's up? It's too late. Usually they already have a plan. Um, and then uh, it's hard to find out about those things too. Um, in the yeah. moment. Um, so um, you want to be that call when they're going like, it's, I have 90 days runway. Um, I'm trying to decide what to do. And you're, you're a soft landing option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I should, I should know more about the CRM industry than I do. Like I know the big players obviously, but like, like I think it's possible that monday.com goes under soon or, or by what? go under, by go under, I mean, gets acquired or something. I, I mean, obviously they won't disappear, but their stock price has dropped like 80% or something like that. And they're still nowhere close to profitable. So like if you're funding yourself off of, they, they are publicly traded. So it's different from a VC thing, but if the only way you can survive is by raising money from investors and your stock price just dropped 80%, you're in a tough position. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously we're not buying monday.com. Like they're, they're massive. Uh, I don't really have my, my, I, I should do more. This is a good point from you. Thank you. That I should know who the companies smaller than us that have raised venture capital are. They, great. Yeah. Have a list. And it's just like, maybe you have a, maybe you set up, uh, you or Alex sets up like a quarterly or semi-annual call with them just to be like, Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah. Are you going out of business yet? <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I think all, like most of the people who listen to this are probably bootstrappers and like, uh, this is maybe too simplistic of a model, but bootstrapping is like buying bonds instead of stocks, <laughs> yeah. sort of, right? It's like during the good times, you grow slower, everything's worse. But when the bad times hit, it, it doesn't hit us nearly as hard. I don't think. That this is a perfect transition to what I wanted to talk about today. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll tee this up with just two updates. Um, we have a ton of momentum right now. And it feels, it felt like all year up until kind of the last three or four weeks, we were talking about what, it, what are we doing? How are we doing it? Um, it was a lot of how, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's just like execution. And there's no questions. It's just execution. And there's just like, it just feels really, really good. And it feels like we have this momentum that we can replicate in some form outside of open enrollment. Cause last year we spent a ton of time talking about how are we going to do this? How now it's just like autopilot. Like yeah, you just, wake up in the morning and you know what you got to do. Exactly. Um, so that feels like a big inflection point for us. So we feel this momentum that we can carry in outside of open enrollment. Now for our business, if you're a first time listener, we have a very seasonal business where most of our work like opportunity exists between um, November 1st and December 15th and or, and or January 15th when, when open enrollment runs um, every year in Utah um, in the United States. So, um, but, but we do feel like there's some momentum there that we like some number of signups per month that offset churn at, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we're still on track for to double um, 80 plus clients. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we creep closer to a hundred. Wow. Um, which would be thrilling, uh, honestly. Uh, but but um, that that kind of leads into this. Um, I started a book on the. So I went to San Francisco last week for an executive offsite with Windfall, which was incredibly demanding. Um, and so if I'm if I'm if I sound sick or depressed, uh, it's just because <laughs> of lack of sleep um, for the last week. But um, I you know one of the best things about getting on a plane is I I don't ever I, I used to open up my laptop and try to work. Now I just open up my Kindle and I re, I just. I, I'll, I'll start like five books and then the first, whatever book like catches my attention, I'll, I'll do it. It's always new books. So 
Today, uh, this trip, I, I picked up Warren Buffett's um, biography called The Snowball. Have you ever read this? No. Incredible writer. Whoever wrote it, I don't know her name, but like it's really, really good. It reads like a novel, um, which <laughs> a lot of good biographies do, but like this one's good. Um, and there, Warren Buffett is a startup to last. He is a public investor, but he is a startup to last mindset. Have you studied him much? I mean, I, I think I get the average amount of Warren Buffett okay. content. I he's very quirky. He's very quirky. He's very interesting. But like, there are a couple, there are two, I, I'm only a, a few chapters, seven or eight chapters in, but like, there are two takeaways that I, that I thought were really interesting. One is less relevant to the conversation that we just had. It's about the inner scorecard. Um, people who are hyper successful long-term uh, grade themselves internally based on their own set of criteria versus an outside scorecard. VC funds funding is an outside scorecard. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, bootstrapping is much more of an internal uh, scorecard. Um, and then the the big takeaway for me that really like is has me jazzed about the uh, the the growth that we've had so far is being okay with modest gains. And this is something he stresses. Well, he doesn't stress, but the writer stresses that he stressed. Um, being okay with modest gains. And I feel like I'm never okay with modest gains at Leg Up Health. And I feel like if I were, like I would be a happier person. What are your thoughts on like being okay with modest gains? The phrase I've always heard, and maybe we've said this on this podcast, is like short-term impatient, long-term patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and that res- I think I'm the opposite of you. I think I'm good at the patient part and I'm bad at like, there are times when you need to be impatient and you need to like mix things up and stuff like that. And I, I get too complacent. So I think I'm on the opposite side from you. I think you need a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, this, well, this whole, this mindset thing here just like kind of make me go, oh, okay, I can, I can look at leg up health as not growing as fast as I want it to, or I could be content with the growth that we're having and just keep going. And yeah, default alive is like another thing that comes here, like to mind here where it's like, if we keep growing and we just, we, we don't like, I can retain JD, um, and I can keep funding. Um, we're going to eventually like, like be really, really happy with where we are. Yeah. Jason Lemkin always says it compounds. It compounds. And like, yeah. like if, even if this year isn't what you want it to be, if next year will be better than this year, the year after that will be better than that. Um, eventually stuff's good. Now I'm curious. So uh, there's the Warren Buffett thing and the patience and all that. You started this by saying you feel like you've got momentum. You, well, maybe this is a discussion for another day. But like the impression I got from you saying that is like you want to keep that momentum up after open enrollment. Do you have a sense of what that means? I don't think. Th- I think it's just staying focused um, and not getting distracted. Like I, I don't. I don't think there's anything that we need to do other than just keep doing what we're doing. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a complicated thing. Um, so I, I, no, I, 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 but, but I do think like, I want, there are some things I want to do that we're not doing currently that I do want to do next year. And I think that those need to be done too. But, um, I I think like leg up health, if it doubles again next year, I'd be really, really happy. Like I, there's been a goal in front of leg up health for the last year, uh, I think, or two, we want to get to 400 clients and it's like, I don't care I, if if we double, we'll get to 400 clients eventually if we double every year. So I'm just really, I'd be really happy if we doubled again next year, which is a v- drastic uh, haircut compared to 400. Right, right. Well, okay. 
you said there are some things you want to do next year. Last episode, we talked about the uh, the employer side, um, like up benefits. Is that one of the things you're talking about? Absolutely. I've got, I've got a shout out that I'm going to say now instead of waiting until later that I think relates to this. Okay. Yes. So, so the, um, and we'll talk more about this next week when we do our mega episode. Um, yeah. We're doing an end of year recap in, in two weeks, but the next two weeks. episode. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so, so yeah, we, I, um, one learning we have is that we, um, our messaging gets employers attention. We did some testing over the last few weeks, like we have the response rate we have on outbound employer, like small employers is ridiculous. Like just about everyone responds in some way, shape or form. We still mm-hmm. have anything to offer them. Okay. Can I give you maybe some food for thought yes. to bring into our, our episode in two weeks? I saw something on Twitter. I'm not going to say who it's from because they were quoting someone else and they didn't tell who it was from. So I'm not going to give this person credit <laughs> for mis- for quoting someone and not saying who it was. But what they said was, um, what you want a bit for a business is boring and complex. If you've got a two by two matrix, like, you know, the normal four, four square grid, one axis is boredom and one axis is complexity. And basically the idea is that because everything is a a supply and demand curve, there's way more competition in the, uh, like exciting, simple businesses. And there's not very much competition in the boring, complex businesses, um, you have been great at targeting boring, complex things in your career, especially Zane Benefits and PeopleKeep, which we both worked at. It, it was as boring as it gets. It's not even selling health insurance. It's selling <laughs> software to administer health insurance and other benefits. <laughs> and it's incredibly complex. You were battling with insurance, regu- like state commissioners of insurance or whatever. Uh, you had to like all these legal regulations and all that. You were as far in the boring, complex direction as you can possibly go there. Do you agree with that? Yep. Leg up health is still pretty boring and complex, but less less of each, I think. Yep. I read this and I was like, should Rick be more boring and more complex? What do you think about that? I think like boring, I I totally can I think I, I think we're speaking the same language. When you when he says complex in this context, like what is the like me, like measurement for complexity is it is it like difficulty of execution yeah. um, i mean again this was a a quote from someone I, I don't know who it's from so i don't have a good way i mean i guess i could google boring and complex and see what comes up but um i interpreted this to mean you are selling like there's a lot of really great things about your business which is like you're not actually offering the key product the customer's buying you have software and stuff, but like at the end of the day, what they really want is insurance, mm-hmm. um, which is great because it means like your site going down doesn't matter that much. And like if there's a really horrible situation, it's United Healthcare dealing with it, not you. But you had a huge advantage at PeopleKeep of like being willing to wade through all these regulations and do all this crap that no one else is willing to do. That's the complex part to me that you're not you're not really you're you're doing something sort of complex, which is being an insurance broker. But you're capable of doing much more complex things than other insurance brokers are. Thousand percent, and we're doing that with Leg Up Health. Even within Leg Up Health, like the concept of a monthly update, like that's yeah, yeah, really right. complex in our business model. It doesn't seem complex to the outside world, but like all the logic in there and the things that can go wrong, like high, it it actually is complex. But yeah, well, you're ta- regulatory complexity is one aspect of complexity. Yeah. Um, product complexity could be another. Um, and I'll stop yeah. being around the bush here. Like what I'm saying is, when I read that. Leg up benefits strikes me as a more complex product where you could potentially be even further from what other people want to or can compete with. 
A thousand percent. You're you've nailed it. All right. <laughs> cool. So you're we'll supportive of, of building leg up benefits. Usually you're not supportive of me doing multiple things. I, um, my concern with it is the, like, because this is not a full-time thing, do you have time to do all of this? But, uh, 10 years from now, I think you're more likely to have what you want because leg up benefits worked than you are because leg up health worked. Yep. yep. But I can't, I, I can't argue with that. It's I'm a, an armchair entrepreneur here. <laughs> <laughs> What's an armchair entrepreneur? You know, like the armchair quarterback or whatever, like uh, I'm sitting here telling the professional athlete what they should oh, do gotcha. from yeah. my armchair. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> um, what else anyway. is on your mind? Uh, yeah, so I've been talking a lot recently. I'm basically a professional Notion admin now. Like I've spent <laughs> weeks just futzing about with Notion. Can we? Um, is there a way to build this product like better? What, building Notion better? Yeah. I th- I got to say... A, I get why everyone tries Notion and hates it at first, and it's so frustrating and complex. And B, once you get it, once the whole mental model is in your head at once, I cannot believe this product exists. It's so amazing. <laughs> it I would seems never like something you should have built. Like I agree. If yeah, if if I could like go back in time and work on anything, it would be uh, Notion before Notion existed. But uh, it's actually, I think it's quite well done. I I don't really see where a person would meaningfully improve on it. And and what what detractors would say to that is they'd be like, well, I was editing something and a glitch happened or whatever. Like all the complaints are <laughs> stuff that doesn't matter. It's annoying, but it like in terms of what it can actually do, it's like it's perfect. Or I shouldn't say it's perfect, but it's really really good. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, ba- ba- Notion admin, sorry. Yeah, I'm a Notion admin. So I I talked about how like I had been applying that to project management and actually that's going really well. I think the dev team's actually like moving faster because of this new system. But um, we also applied it to the approach we take to bug fixes. And this is one of those things that when you're you know, one or two or three people, you don't need a process for it. It's like someone reports a bug, you decide whether or not to do it. You just, it, everything can be ad hoc. But when you have a team of customer service people, they need to know how to report bugs and how to communicate what's going to happen to the customer. And then the devs need to know like, it's really easy to get into this mode where, well, the, the customer service people really want this bug fix, so I'm just going to do this right now. And you, all you ever do is fix bugs. So you do kind of need process around this. So that's kind of what I've been working on recently. Um, I always hesitate to bring these things up on the podcast because like, it's hard to articulate. Like, You just have to look at my Notion document. But the main thing we did is the, the flow we had before is there was always one developer on kind of triage duty at any given time. Developer on call, right? Developer on call. Yeah, yeah. I, they're not like truly on call, like 5 p.m. hits and they're gone. But yeah, during the day, they're the one to, who gets... The, the idea is to... You don't want every developer to get distracted when a bug comes and you just want one to. Um, and then that person would assign the bug out and a different developer or maybe the same person would fix it. We didn't really have a good way of like not fixing them right away though. So the two things we changed. One, the triage person, instead of constantly monitoring Slack to respond right away, there are two times per day pre-scheduled where they go in and just like triage everything. So that person gets less distracted. Interesting. Um, There's still like an escalation ability where it's like, no, this can't wait. Like you you need to look at this right now. But the idea is only 10% of bugs really deserve to get escalated. So there's less distraction for the triage person. Do you worry that this is really interesting and it actually applies to 
um, a portion of my job at Windfall. Um, so I run revenue operations, which is effectively managing the no code te- and low code tech stack that um, customer facing representatives use, including my- and marketers, which actually becomes a product slash project management role um, yeah, in some capacity. Right. But like we have this like, you know, process where people will submit Asana tickets to request things. And it's very difficult to receive those and not feel like you need to work on them right away. Like, right. Cause it's, it's, it's a, it's someone's problem that they're reporting effectively. Like, and how do you, if you have good people that people have a bias <laughs> to like solve problems when they see it. Um, so I guess like two questions. One is, do you, do you worry that, um, so there's this like natural, like immediate pay down of bugs that keeps bugs from like building a huge backlog that happens when you let people solve things in real time, even if it's not the best use of their time. Mm-hmm. Do you worry that by, by deep, by not letting that happen, like it's happened historically, that you're going to have this huge buildup of bugs that could take away from long-term project uh, proactive work later? So hopefully no, and here's why. The point of this exercise is not to work on fewer bugs. It is to reduce context switching. Um, What would happen before is we'd get bugs throughout the week. Well, so actually, before I answer, let me say the second thing. The first thing is we're only triaging twice a day. The second thing is the the typical behavior is you snooze the bug till the following Monday and it gets worked on then as opposed to like work on it right now. Again, we have policies and documentation for like if one of these things is true, work on it right away. Um, but the hope is 50 plus percent of bugs get wait for the following Monday instead of working right away. So the hope here is the total. If you think of this as bandwidth versus latency, the bandwidth has not changed. The same number of bugs are going to get fixed in roughly the same amount of time, but it'll be a week instead of a day. The difference is a developer can get, let's say they work on three bugs in a week. They can do back to back to back bugs and then get back. They have, let's say, four full days to just focus on their project instead of bouncing back and forth. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, the the equivalent would be like Disneyland. Instead of waiting in line to get um, food, you uh, schedule pickup of your food um, and eat it all at once. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, uh, much more efficient. Yeah. So you know, it's new. We'll see how it goes. It's the con- It's the concept of defragging your your calendar. This is not a new concept in any number of ways, but. Um, It'll take a cultural change because like you said, that especially the CRM coaches, but even the developers too, they're like, a bug came in, the customer wants a thing, let's do it. But you know, most companies don't even respond to these, (laughs) right? It's not like, do we fix it today or do we fix it next week? It's like, it's not getting fixed ever. We're still way, way more responsive than most. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the if there's any customer impact at all with the expectations you've set historically. My guess is that there won't be, um, yeah. which is probably your assumption too. Um, and you know, guess CRM coaches are the ones that are going to have the hardest time probably with this because it's really hard to like take someone's problem, give it to someone else, and then wait. <laughs> yeah, um, especially if, to... if historically like it's been fixed. Absolutely, we're trying to help with that by putting systems in place where it's like, here's what you say. You say. You know, thanks for letting me know. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, I've sent this on to the developers. It's on the list. I'll give you an update on Monday. And if you just set reasonable expectation, and then you snooze the email until Monday, so it's like I don't even see it. It's out of sight, out of mind. When you say that, it's like this is better for the CRM coach too. They stop yeah. worrying about this too until Monday. Yeah, and even before, even though like bugs got fixed sooner, which is good for CRM coaches, they we had never defined. It's so funny as you scale a team, you don't think about the things that 
won't work anymore. We never told anyone like when are updates supposed to happen on bugs. And so as a result, CRM coaches, like all the bugs are in Notion, CRM coaches would go in and like multiple times a day be like, any updates on this? Any updates? Has anything changed? And I was thinking this is annoying for developers. And as soon as we made this change, I kind of went to Michael on the CRM coaching team and was like nervous he would be mad about this. And he was like, oh, great. CRM coaches will finally know when to expect an update. That's all we wanted. <laughs> so actually, I, yeah, it, it'll, it'll change management's always hard, but I'm, I'm excited about this. That's great. That's great. Um, what else is up? What, um, anything else related to this before we move to the next one? No, that's uh, that's it for that update. Back to you. I, I just had a random topic pop into my my mind, and um, I don't know why this happened, but I think it's probably. Uh, I was thinking about you and Mike, like just like people talking in the office. Um, mm-hmm. uh, JD has been. Uh, I think this is okay for me to talk about on the air, and I, if JD, if this is not okay, just let me know, and I won't do it in the future. Um, but like JD's trying to decide where he wants to land, uh, from an art, like he's been RVing across the country with his family for the last year and a half, two years, maybe. Um, and so they're like, Oh, we've seen the whole country. Where do we want to live? And obviously COVID happened and I got partial to remote work, but I miss working in an office. I do. I freaking miss it. Yeah. And so there is this like part of me that's like wants to sell JD really, 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 really hard on moving back to Utah so that we can you know, <laughs> build a company here. Um, Is he definitely listening to this, by the way? I probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we're starting to have that conversation. Um, and I don't know how hard to sell him on moving here. Like, it's a very personal decision out of where to live. And I, like, I'm very biased here. So I don't know, like... I don't know. I'm, we're starting to have the conversation and there's nothing really to say, like we're going to have the conversation, but like if you were me, how hard would you push your co-founder to be uh, in the same? This is an interesting conversation. Yeah, that's a tough question, but I'll let me start with a very vague non-answer, which is <sighs> when people, uh, when I, I made a lot of, dis- well, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to take a really roundabout way. I saw someone, some like shower thought quote on Twitter the other day that was like, Everyone's worried that if like if you were a time traveler and you went back in time and you make one minor change, it'll change the whole course of human history, right? That's like a common time traveler sci-fi story. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks if I change my behavior today in some minor way, it might change the whole future. Um, but it's true, right? Minor decisions we make that maybe we don't even think about much right now have this huge impact. There are so many examples of this with less annoying CRM, things that I did not put much thought into that are now like major, major, major parts of my life based on this decision I didn't think about at all. From that lens, if you think over the next 20, 30 years, A, you want JD to be a major part of the company and B, you want to work in person with people, you could be putting yourself in a tough spot where you can't satisfy both of those at the same time if he's not in Utah. Yep. Um, obviously, it's his decision, but <laughs> I think I think like I think um, selling him is the wrong question. I think forcing some really hard reflection on the trade off, potential long term trade offs, um, having that converse, those conversations, I think, is absolutely necessary, and that's that was really helpful actually. Um, cool. As long as we have those conversations and we understand like what the positive and negative consequences are for the business of, of each possible, you know, uh, option, then I think, um, I think that will ultimately what will happen will happen. And we'll be okay with it. So yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, absolutely. I'm glad I could help. Uh, 
you know this, but just for the listener. So my my brother Bracken, who's the other co-founder of Less Annoying, we sort of ran into this where when we started, I was in San Francisco, he was in Boston. We work remotely very well together. That was never a problem. But then when it came time where we had already hired some people, the employees, and it just made sense to have an in-person thing. There was like someone had to move or not move, but like we can't both be in Boston, San Francisco, and like something had to give. So we moved to St. Louis, everyone except Bracken, but he had to accept in that moment, like, okay, well, probably can't be like a leader at the company in the same way. He still is a leader in the sense he has a major impact on decisions, but people don't see him. Like we have this great in-person culture and he's not there. And JD probably, if he doesn't go to Utah, and if you think you want an in-person culture one day, that's probably he. He would probably be making a very similar decision to what Bracken made. Yeah, and I, I believe, and I should talk to JD about this, but I believe JD wants an in-person culture too. Uh, yeah. Maybe not five days a week, but like it's there's something to be said for working with people and building something together. Yeah, for um, sure. That isn't replicated remotely. I, it just isn't. I agree. So there's it, there's still a lot of reasons to be remote, but that's not one of them. That was not a planned topic, but I'm glad we talked about it. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, cool. Um, I wanted to share, so we talk sometimes about like these little shorthands. We have like cats on the roof being one of them. I'm not going to bore everyone with what cats on the roof means, but the point is I can say that phrase and Rick knows exactly what I mean, as opposed to me having to like, if anyone wants to know what it means, go to lessonknowingbusiness.com, my blog, there's a blog post about it. It's like a thousand plus words. That's how long it takes to explain the concept. But once you know the phrase, you can say it to people you know and trust and they get the, the meaning immediately. I we, I have another shorthand like this that I wanted to share with you just because I think these are cool. What are they? Um, so this one, we call it following daylight. And let me use it in a sentence. Me and Bracken are the main people who who use this. Uh, we have a weekly one-on-one. I'm like, hey, what's been going on? What, what have you been up to last week? And he goes, mostly I've been following daylight. And I just immediately know what he means instead of him having to like hem and haw and us having this whole discussion. What following daylight means is this. Um, you know how when you're working on a project, I think this is especially true with dev and like he does infrastructure DevOps stuff. It's really, really true there. But any project, while you're working on it, you see opportunities to do other things that are valuable, but that aren't maybe like core to the project you're working on. So an example being, we're upgrading our database from MySQL 6 to MySQL 7 or whatever the numbers are right now. Uh we also have a bunch of database tables that we don't use anymore. Should we delete the tables while we're at it? We also want to change the collation on this table. Should we make that schema change while we're doing the upgrade? There's all these other things you can do. And I think anyone working on projects faces this challenge of like, when do you go on these side quests and when do you not? I'm sure you've experienced this before. I mean, it's very similar. It's very related to the bug conversation we had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's like you're it's tempting to say we'll never go down those side quests, stay focused on the main thing. But the thing is, like while you're doing it, it is easier, right? It may, it's like this project might take fifty percent less time if we do it now as opposed to treating it as a standalone project. But the downside, of course, is then the project bloats out of control, uh, and you never finish the core thing. So the analogy we have made with Falling Daylight is: imagine you're in this series of underground tunnels, and you kind of know vaguely where you're trying to go, and you keep seeing other tunnels going off to the side. Should you go down them? What we've decided is if you see daylight on the other end, meaning you, you know see exactly how long it's going to, you know how long it's going to take. Yep. You know how long it's going to take. It's not going to wind around. It's not going to turn into other things. You can go <laughs> do it, finish it, and then get back to the main tunnel you're in. Do it. If you don't see daylight, 
Probably don't. Is do this it. a self-creation or is this like something you stole from someone else? This is a really, I really like this one. I think self-creation or at least if, but, if I got it somewhere else, it was subconscious. Do you have a less annoying business blog post about this? No, maybe I should write that. You should. I'll put that on the list. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I so like yeah. this one. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, mm-hmm. How... When he says following daylight, what like what do you say? Well, yeah. So if before we had this shorthand, he would be like, "Well, I'm supposed to be working on the database upgrade, but I did these <laughs> other things." And I would I would have to be like, "It's not that I don't trust you, but like let's just talk about it and make sure." <laughs> By him saying I'm following daylight, what he's saying to me is, "Trust me, this is not going to get out of hand, and I'll get back to the main thing." And so I'm just like, "Cool." Yeah, I'm, I haven't made much progress on the main thing, but I've made a lot of progress on other things. And yeah. I promise I'm not working on something that has no end in sight. Right. Like I, I have put thought into scope creep and I'm not worried about it. So it's a useful shorthand. Yeah, it's great. I like it. Um, yeah, back to you. Um, okay, so these are two. Um, so so these are two windfall related uh, updates. Um, so uh, what one this got called out. I was telling someone at, at the, cause I was in San Francisco this week at the, for that, for a, an offsite. Um, we had our holiday party on Saturday. So I was, you know, hanging out with people and they're asking like, tell me about leg of health. And so I was telling them and they were, they were saying, wow, you, a lot of what you're learning at windfall is relevant to leg of health in terms of digital marketing. I was like, yeah, actually it really is. Um, so I'm still learning a ton about the digital marketing space. I'm no expert, but I'm still like going deeper and deeper. And that is really, really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to share that. Like, I, I think sometimes I don't call that out, um, as part of the value of, of working at windfall that is very relevant to, um, leg up. Um, and so, um, I don't have any like specifics to share here, uh, just that like, sometimes you can find, um, good, good reasons to do things and like r- feel good about something. Um, mm-hmm. even if it's hard, um, and maybe not necessarily what you want to be doing with your full time. Like I obviously like, no, it's no secret. Like I'd rather be working on like a health full time than working at, at another company full time. And this is, but this is one thing that's like, Oh yeah. Like this is part of the benefit of doing this among other things. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I am, I'm, I'm developing an appreciation for, for scale, for scale is the concept of certifications during employee onboarding. And this, um, this isn't necessarily like, uh, what I mean by certification is an assessment of someone's knowledge related to a particular topic. And as you grow, and if you're growing really fast and you're, you hire, sorry, you're, you're talking customer on or uh, employee, on employee onboarding, onboarding right. pardon okay. me. Yeah. So when you hire people at your company, and I think this is true of like any size company, you want to know uh, at some level that they've learned what they need to learn to be successful in their jobs, aligned with your brand and like not going to really screw things up. Like, you know, and, and so like you want to minimize the downside, uh, increase the chances that they're going to be successful and like stay like aligned strategically with like some of these key decisions that you've made. And I, I'm, I'm developing an appreciation through observation. And then also like, uh, wow, I'm seeing it work uh, for the concept of certification. And if you're really thoughtful about about employee certifications, especially during someone's first 90 days, I think you can give someone you, you have control like this, this lever that gives someone like very clear direction, but mm-hmm. also a uh, clear feedback loop on whether or not um, they're progressing. And 
Um, so I'm, I'm working a lot on certifications right now at Windfall um, as part of my hiring efforts to try to give people peace of mind during their 90, first 90 days and also control um, onboarding. But I'm, I'm curious, like, do you use some some version of this um, at, at Less Annoying CRM? And if, if not, like, why not? Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like your, your thoughts on this topic. Yeah, no, we don't. And mostly just because I've never thought of it before. I, I just wrote this down on my task list to talk with the like Michael and Robert, the two people who tend to onboard people. Um, I think this is really interesting. So two reasons for it. One, there's a lot of onboarding that never gets put to the test. And it's especially like company values and history and mission and stuff where it's like, you could do your job without ever knowing that, but you really want people to know it. Um, and I, we always, I think we do a very thorough job of training people on that, but I've never, but then like three years later when it comes up again, they're like, oh, I, I don't remember that. <laughs> um, maybe that's natural. Maybe they, they won't, even if you have a certification, but maybe they never learned it in the first place. We never really verified that. So I like that, but that's less important. To me, the more important, the thing that really excites me about this, it's really hard just in general when you hire people, when stuff goes well, it's great. It's easy. This person doesn't need to be managed. They don't need a performance improvement plan or whatever. It's really hard to switch from that mode into mm, things aren't going great. We need to course correct here uh, because it it builds up as this really like big conversation that should shouldn't be big. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, it's it's hard. I, I struggle with this. Michael and Robert both struggle with this. I think ev- everyone who's not a sociopath struggles with like, I have to make this person realize things need to change. And it's ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. And it's not their fault, right? They, no. We've um, a term that uh, uh, came up at w- one of these times that this happened. A different employee was talking to me and said, I think this person who's being onboarded is happily floundering. And I thought that was a really interesting. They thought they were doing great and they had no way of knowing that they weren't. Oblivious failure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what I love about these certifications, like in my head, what I'm imagining is someone comes in and like takes the test day one and fails it, of course. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, we're going to take this test a few more times. And by the end of it, you're going to pass it. And they can know exactly what's expected and see their progress. I think that that sounds really cool to me. Yep. So good. That's I, I wasn't sure how how you would feel about this because there is some stress that it, it does uh, create around like the pass fail, uh, you know, feedback loop. Um, but I think I think the benefits outweigh the the cons as long as you deliver the stuff the right way and it, it, you're you're partnered with them in terms of getting them to success versus like hazing them. Um, this is a thing that um, I had a learning on kind of the hard way. I, so I always took the approach of like, treat everyone like they're doing well and then make exceptions. And we have this employee-led kind of DEI group called Idea that one of the projects they did that I actually really appreciated, they came to us and said, we need performance evaluations for everybody at the company every six months. And we were like, why? Everyone's doing great. And they were like, yeah, but the one time it, someone's not doing great, it you you need to have a forced pre-planned mechanism to let them know um and that that i already went through that learning but this is just another step of it that you said it might be hard they might be worried about failure and stuff like that but if they're failing this is going to actually protect them not the other way around agreed yes 
Um, it's it's yeah. The the point of it is not to set people up for failure. It's to set them up for success. And I think that's yeah. and and actually like protect them from failure. Um, yeah. If some someone not knowing that they're failing is the worst thing, and yes. I've done that multiple times as a manager, where I've let someone temporarily fail without knowing it. I really like that. I hope that um, I need to I need to write that down. Um, of people need to know <laughs> not. <laughs> Not people not knowing, say that again, people not knowing that they're failing is awful. Like yeah. that is like a bad thing. I mean, you want to avoid it. Yeah. So I like it. Um, I'm, we'll, we'll, we'll think more if, if, if we get any riffs off of this or if we actually, like, are you implementing this or I don't know what you can talk oh, yeah. about. Yeah. I can't go to details. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be deep into like uh, uh, figuring out how to apply this concept. Um, and I, I'm leaning towards like, there's kind of two play two like extreme approaches you could take. You could have like one certification that's everything, or you can break it down into small pieces um, and have mm-hmm. like lots of certifications. And so I'm leaning towards the latter, um, lots of small certifications. Yeah, I like that. Because um, then they can see progress as it's like, it's almost like a dashboard where everything starts red and then it's like, oh, things start turning green as I develop proficiency. Yeah. So g- generally like the way I'm thinking about it is I'm, I'm, I'm hiring... Um, I've recently hired a, a manager, meaning this person's going to build a team. Um, so it's it's it, they not only need to learn all the things to do an individual contributor job at first, but they also need to learn how to like hire people. And so the the list of certifications, I was like, what do I want to what do I want to be able to certify this person on? It's like lots of stuff related to the day to day job, but then there's also like how do we interview? You know, what are manager expectations? Like certifying people on certifying this person on like their ability to interview well follow yeah. our hiring process, uh, manage people appropriately, set expectations. And so there, it's actually pretty, um, there's a lot, uh, but I, but I, but I think it'll, the, the cool thing is this is a measure. This is like, uh, build once, sell twice, uh, kind of thing. So like, I think that I can pave some road here for the rest of the organization. Yeah. Um, and, uh, really, really help a lot of people. I love that. In almost every way, I always say like small companies should not act like big companies because that like gives up your whole advantage. But this is one where like it's never too early to kind of have the right process around when you hire someone, empower them to succeed, let them know like like we give someone a document on their first day. Here's what the next 90 days are going to look like. Here's what's expected of you during mm-hmm. that time. That's kind of big company shit that I think actually really makes sense for smaller companies to do yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah, everyone's got a first 90 days whether you got two people or thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make it as successful as possible. Yep. Um, um, cool. Thank you for that conversation. I wasn't sure how you're going to react to it. Yeah, no, I like it. Uh, I've had this on the list for a while now and we just haven't gotten to it, but Webflow logic. Have you, have you seen that? Is this the user login stuff or is this something different? No, this is, um, they announced it, I don't know, a few months ago, I think. Oh, this but is the Zapier competitor. Yeah. Yeah. So since you're such a heavy user of Webflow and no code, I thought I, I was interested in your thoughts that yeah, basically they're building kind of automation rules um, and, and like workflows and stuff into Webflow. This, this is extremely powerful, in my opinion, for low uh, sensitivity data um, and like apps that you could use as lead generation tools. I don't think like, I think anything that's boring and complex um, is likely going to be limited in what you can feel comfortable putting in Webflow. So we have a lot of limitations mm-hmm. at Leg Up Health of like what data we can put in about people into Webflow and then use some of this logic to manipulate. But in terms of like a non-PII, personally identifiable information app, like where it's more generic, like there's a lot of, I think this unlocks a lot of top of funnel creativity in terms of um, tooling and content. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting that Webflow obviously, like, right now, if I have a criticism of the no-code universe, it's that it's just a million different tools integrated together, and each one is a point of failure. These things are changing, and, like, there's definitely benefit to the idea of, like, one platform. There's also downside, which is, like, now you're limited by what that one platform can do, but are you bullish on the idea of what Webflow obviously wants to do is be like, you don't need a bunch of tools. We'll handle your authentication. We'll be your backend database. We'll be all of it. I love it. The The only problem I have is I, I don't know how secure, like, have, have you looked into the security of Webflow? Like when I first started using Webflow for no code, the big limitation was privacy and security. That's because um, every item in a collection is like public. a web page. It doesn't yeah. have to be public though, right? You have um, to like make a page that displays that information, I think. Correct. Yes. But yeah, it was so for people who haven't used Webflow, Webflow is set up where think of WordPress or like a blog type thing, but they kind of abstracted it back from that where instead of saying like, here's your blog, here are your blog posts, they have these things called collections and you can make whatever collections you want. You can kind of design your own database. But the idea is each item in a collection has a corresponding page on your website. So like a blog post would have a view post. If you have like blog categories, that would be a separate collection that links to the posts and each category would have a page listing all the blog posts in that category. But yeah, I don't think you have to expose it. I like it for marketing automation. I don't love it for app automation, primarily mm. because um, of the concerns I have around database management as it relates yeah. to sensitive information. And then integrating that information with like other sensitive apps, especially like as I think about like a benefits complexity related to ACH, like it seems very limited. Like, Scary. Yeah, that's fair. It does seem like, so I haven't really used Airflow or uh, I'm sorry, Airtable much, but it does really seem like even setting aside no code as a software engineer, I've always thought the thing that doesn't get talked about enough is like the database is the core of every app. Like when we interview developers, the, the one of the key parts of the interview is like, does just write what the tables and fields in each, like, like basically we ask them to design our, our database. If you can think through the database, you can think through everything. Um, I would like Airtable seems great for this. I worry that Webflow will never really focus on database enough to to like give it what it deserves. That, that's well said. Like yes, that's where like if I if I compare like the Airtable experience versus Webflow experience, it comes back to like the 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 security of the database, the flexibility of the database, um, and like uh, the connectivity like of the of that database to other apps. And I. Airtable is stronger, but again, like I probably for leg up benefits due to the sensitivity, it's probably not even Airtable. It's probably some more advanced, um, mm. you know, one of I, those. Yeah, we've talked about some of these before that are like actually like a real database backend mm. called through an API, but that no code tools can access. Yeah, exactly. Um, Although I don't think there's any inherent reason why Webflow or Airtable are less secure than that. That that's that would be an interesting conversation because I don't know enough, but like I just have this. I don't know. It feels less secure for some reason. Why? What, but why would it? Why would it be less secure? It's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, one way might be like your employees. Probably in Webflow, every user, quote unquote, of the tool has access to all the data. So that might be one that it's like, as you grow your team, you don't want everyone to be able to access all the data. Even though every time there's a scandal with a big tech company, like Twitter just had this, like every employee had access to everyone's DMs, and it's like. How do these big, like we, we've had that since 2010, we've had protections on this since before we even had employees. I can't believe these other companies don't, but they don't <laughs> anyway. It's wild. Little ramble. Uh, what you got a rant shout out here? 
Yeah, well, I just, um, Sable doesn't think this is a big deal, but I sure do. Sable's my wife. We're going on our first, re- I'm calling our first real date. Like we've, we've been on like a few dates since Oliver was born. Um, Oliver's 20 months old. Uh, but like, she, like it was like an hour long and like we had to like release, like it felt like we were rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels like the first real date we've gone on in 20 months and we're going to the jazz Pelicans game. I'm a huge Pelicans fan because of like, I just like their team right now. Um, plus Zion, like I really think the Zion Williams is fun to watch, but they're, um, I'm going to a, a basketball game and a full, uh, like a real date night with like, I don't feel like without any urgency to like come home and I'm nice. really looking forward to it. It's on Thursday this week. That's awesome. You go yeah. like going out to dinner first or just getting nachos at the, uh, arena. It's one of those dates where it, it feels so un, like so free and, and un, it's unstructured. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to get in the car <laughs> and we're going to go on an adventure. That's good for you. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Also, it terrifies me because, you know, Shelly and I are still unsure if, if we want kids. And when I hear that, I'm like, by this definition, we go on date night five times a week. <laughs> well, a lot of it's mentality. Like, um, uh, if you feel okay leaving your child with someone else, then, you know, that this is easier. I, I do not have a problem leaving. <laughs> I love you, Oliver, but I have no problem leaving you f- for a day, you know, like, um, yeah. And, and doing things that are important. Um, but I think that's just a parenting decision. Yeah, for sure. More so than a, than a, <laughs> than a, than a, than a, a necessity. Yeah. Anything else you want to chat about? We've got, we're at 52 minutes here. I've, I've got a topic we could go into, although it might take us over an hour. What, what's your preference? <laughs> your call, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm interested in your thoughts. If, if you're, if you're not in a rush, no, ru- no rush, no All rush. Right. So we are trying to figure out. So, Okay. The situation for people who haven't been listening, less annoying CRM, we're at about three and a half million in revenue. We're still growing, but we're not like we can, it, expenses increase every year. You have to give employees raises and, you know, our hosting fees go up by a little because we're storing more data, stuff like that. So the growth rate we have right now is roughly or maybe a little less than what we need to support increasing costs in the future. We're growing, but we're not growing enough. Right now, it's obvious what our priority is. It's growth. Um, once we get back to a point where growth is, we're happy with it. Like, I don't want to be a company that's just like super short term growth at all costs focused. What would we focus on next? And the, the basic split is option A is try to go after kind of our long-term strategic vision, which I'm happy to go into more detail, but the basic summary is like, we want to be more than a CRM. We want to be a general productivity tool that small businesses can use to get a lot of their work done, not just like right now, basically just sales and customer service uses us. I want the whole company to use us for a variety of things. Um, That's where I want to be in the future. The reality is no one's asking for that. Maybe we build it and it totally flops, but that's what I want to build. Um, There's also a lot of opportunity to just be a better CRM. Our current customers are using us as a CRM. Uh, there's obviously way more room to grow in the CRM space than we have so far. So the basic thing we're trying to decide between is like, does it make sense to, if, if growth is fine, how much do we devote to long-term strategy? How much do we devote to just being a better CRM? So I'm just going to call out that I have the exact same topic said differently, uh, directly across from this one call. (laughs) It's like, like what you're really talking about is at a higher level is, do you want to make incremental improvements today on something that you know works or do you want to work on something that has the potential to make a revolutionary future com- contribution? Yeah. And what's your split on investment there? Is it 100% incremental improvement, 0% revolutionary future contribution, or some other mix of investment? 
Yeah, I think that's right. And let me add a, a different angle to look at it from. One question is, let's say the goal, no, no question, is the revolutionary one. Is it faster to go at it head on? Or is it faster to do the incremental stuff, build up a stronger base, and then use that to build the revolutionary thing? But there's a slippery slope there. We're 13 years in. We've always said we're going to build more than just a CRM, and we haven't. So like, at some point, you have to bite the bullet and do it. So what are your thoughts on this? I mentioned, where, <laughs> like, like, I, uh, I mean, I, if you think about where we are, like we're very early stage, um, and I, I'm definitely leaning more to revolutionary bets. Like Leg Up Benefits is much more revolutionary uh, in, of an investment next year than Leg Up, like investing in just growing Leg Up Health. Um, so, so I'm, I'm earlier stage. I'm definitely leaning more on the revolutionary side. Um, mm-hmm. wh- where are you in your current thinking? Um, if you'd asked me this prior to these growth issues, I would have said revolution. Like basically we, we were saying, let's do a little growth. Let's, we thought of the, um, rather than these incremental improvements, we thought of it as customer happiness. Our customers are asking for stuff. Let's build it for them, which might be slightly different from what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who like, how do we stay competitive against other CRMs, which is slightly different than what are our current customers asking for as the iterative thing. I would have said back then, though, let's do the smallest amount of that we think we need to to maintain our base, and let's go after the strategy. Increasingly, I do think there's a lot of opportunity. I think we're like nine. I, I think we're close to a tipping point is basically it. I, I, I think like there are a lot of things you can't do with less knowing CRM that you can do with other CRMs. Um, but we're not like that. It's not like we have to spend the next 10 years building it. I think a year or two of concerted effort and we could get to a point where we're way more competitive with pipe drive and copper and products like that. And that would put us in a much better position to go after the strategic thing. But again, but maybe two years from now we say the same thing. And then we like, I don't want to be 60 and be like, all I've ever done in my entire career is build a simple CRM. Is there a percentage of like investment that you could just be like, Hey, like we're always going to invest this much in R and D and like, uh, you know, it, it, it may never turn into anything, but like it's, it's an experimentation play. And the minute we hit something, we'll, we'll invest more into it when it's real, like kind of taking yeah. the, the bullseye approach to, um, that, that we talked about for marketing, but take applying it to R and D. Yeah. I think that's an interesting approach. We've, we've talked about that. I was talking about this with Bracken the other day. Um, yeah. So the, the way I might approach doing what you just said, if you think about the revolutionary thing, a lot of what needs to be done is also stuff our current customers would want. Like we need way better tasks. We already have tasks. It's already like, it's, it's not weird for a CRM to include task management. Let's make that better. We need like the ability to send emails from in the CRM, which we don't have right now. The thought is like, maybe we just start eating around the edges by doing the stuff where customers won't even realize we're going in this other direction. Um, it's all stuff they want. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely, uh, is that kind of what you had in mind? Maybe, I, I guess um, it doesn't even have to be related to the CRM, but like, you're just like, like you have eight, 80, 20 time and 20% of the, like oh, of the gotcha. is, is um, people thinking like working on and thinking about things that are revolutionary ideas versus incremental improvements. Well, so yeah, the the hard thing is, I think it's going to be very difficult to validate the big. I I, I don't love the word revolutionary because it gives this big sense of importance that I'm not sure it has. But like, let's say the strategic vision versus the mm-hmm. the the iterative stuff. 
I think we need like a lot of strategic vision work to happen before we will see any results from it. You don't have enough clarity on what like the box is. You want people. I, to play I know in? what the box is. I know what I want the box to be. Yeah. Um. But the problem is, I don't think it's a useful product. I, I don't think it's like you, you know the graphic of product market fit, where it's like first build a skateboard, then build a scooter, then build a car. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think the skateboard is actually useful in this case. Or if it is, like the CRM is the skateboard. Um. I kind of feel like at some point you just have to build a fucking car. You know. I always go back to appointment scheduling. So that's a good yeah. example of this. Like. Could you not spend 20% of your time right now building that as a standalone product and also integrate it into the, like, what, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that fits into what I was saying of like building things that seem like a natural fit with the CRM. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but yes, but that's not, that's when someone chooses pipe drive over us, that's not why. So a little bit, maybe the, if there's three categories of things, there's why do people choose pipe drive instead of us? Uh, stuff that is a natural extension of a CRM, but also leads us to the strategic vision and stuff that's just pure strategy that it, like our current customers are not asking for at all. And maybe what we're saying is don't do the third category because the second category kills two birds with one stone. What are the th- things in the third category that wouldn't contribute to the CRM that you could rattle off right now? Um, yeah. So basically... <laughs> If you recall Sparse, the product I wanted to build at one point, like we want to build that into it. Internal team messaging is one thing here. We actually do get, our customers do ask us for that, but like at a much lower rate than other stuff. Um, We basically want like a Slack type competitor and a kind of, I don't want to say Notion, like Notion's way more powerful, but like a Dropbox paper type note-taking wiki internal thing. So again, the idea being like, if you have a sales and customer service team using this, what do you have to build to get the developer's and the like all the other people at the company added. Um, so those are just two examples of that. So it sounds like the two big things are more sales and marketing users, more customer facing users is incremental. And then revolutionary, for lack of a better yeah, word, for using a, the framework, is expanding to more people in the company. I think that's a great way to put it. And I'm this conversation was worth it just for that clarity okay. that now I can say, are we building sales customer facing features or are we building? Yeah, 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 that's it. Interesting. That's clear. That provides clarity to me. Um, yeah. It's yeah. So I don't know. It feels like you should be placing some bets on like expanding expanded use cases. Um, that's interesting. I, I very, yeah, I don't have any immediate ideas, but it does seem like yeah. number two seems like the right play right now where it's like, let's expand the functionality. It does both. Um, so here's the thing. Number two is not going to do though. So let me, give me five more minutes. I mm-hmm. want to pick your brain. I want you as a customer. Not, I'm not actually going to pressure you to switch or anything, but like when you were evaluating CRMs, you definitely were not going to use less learning CRM. Why not? Integrations were the primary, um, primary reason, being able to pass data back and forth and automate things. Um, like just Zapier or like specific first party integrations that, that Pipedrive Front uh, integration, uh, Zapier integration. Um, like future like things that I was thinking through like data enrichment um, and um, like uh, outreach tool type integration. So like the front integration doesn't go through Zapier. Mm-mm. Okay. Do you know who built it front or pipe drive? Think pipe drive. Okay. It wasn't anything about reporting or automation within pipe drive or any features they have. Didn't get that far, but like I, I, for me, like I, I mostly limit it like, 
narrowed down to three options. And I think it was copper pipe drive. And there was a third. I don't remember what the third was. Mm-hmm. Um, and pipe drive, like I started with copper, switched to pipe drive because copper's uh, reliability and like what they said they could do and what they were doing were, were not the same. Um, I don't think it's called, is it called copper still? Or yeah, I think copper, it was called something else and they rebranded yeah. copper, I think. Um, yeah. Um, but like re- reporting will become more important, but it's sort of like, I just sort of assumed reporting was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really considered that being a problem. Interesting. Okay. Integration 100% for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like automation ability and, you know, making it easy, like scaling. Cause remember my core thesis was I need, I want to take an insurance agent and I want to make them into a Iron Man insurance, like a superhero insurance agent. So productivity mm-hmm. per rep was like my main driver. Right. Okay, cool. That's helpful. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I think what the, the disconnect we've got is we've got 25,000 users, about 10,000 accounts, customers. We are, if you look on G2, we are more loved than any other CRM on the market. And also we are much smaller than all the other CRMs. And it's like, what, what gives, right? What are we missing? And I think what it is, is if we can solve your problems, you love our product, but we can't solve enough people's problems. And so that seems like just kind of expanding the island a little bit, um, seems like a opportunity. Now, PipeDrive has email inboxes and that sort of stuff. I don't use any of that. Um, I hundred percent use front for email and I, I want to just be able to like, when I'm emailing someone in front, be able to see that oh, like this person's in our CRM or not in our CRM and add people and not add people. Gotcha. Okay, cool. That's helpful. Thank you. I will not uh, delay this any further, but I bet this will be a topic again in the future. Cool. Anything else you want to chat about today? Nope, I'm all good. All right. If you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.